Well, we're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 1 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Can I just take this opportunity to thank you for the kind invitation to come along and be with you for these four weeks in uh, Orlando here. I'm the minister in Gardenstown Free Presbyterian Church. You're maybe wondering where exactly that is. You think he's got an Irish accent, so he must be from Northern Ireland. Well, Gardenstown is actually in Scotland, uh, the northeast coast. We're just shy of the Highlands. So uh, we have all the weather that you never have comes to us in Scotland. But it's lovely to be with you here. Uh, we look, we've been looking forward to coming and to meeting you and enjoying fellowship together and praying, of course, that the Lord will bless our time together and that we'll both be the richer for it. Well, Second Samuel chapter 1, and my text this morning is found in the verse 26. David says in his lamentation, I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. And these words in particular. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Well, let us unite together in prayer, uh, looking to the Lord to come now and bless the preaching of his word to each of our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee that thy word is that lamp unto our feet and that light unto our path. And Lord, it is this light that we desperately need. For we confess we cannot walk without thee. Should we try to go by ourselves we will fall and we will stumble. We need the guidance of the Lord. And we thank thee that thy word is truth for us. And thy word is a comfort. And thy word is a blessing. But Lord as we come now to the pages of scripture. We pray that thou would close us in with thyself. We pray that the preacher will say nothing of the flesh. And nothing that is wrong. But we pray that thou will give counsel and wisdom to rightly divide the word of truth. And we pray, Father, that each of our hearts will be receptive to the word. And that thou will speak to us today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And as the son of King Saul, he was the heir to the throne. Or so it might sing. But David, who was the servant of Saul, had been chosen by God, anointed by Samuel the prophet, to be the next king of Israel. Now you and I might look at this situation from an earthly perspective and assume that there's going to be conflict and tension and hostility between David and Jonathan. Jonathan might think, well, I'm due to be the next king. Who does this young fellow David think he is? And David might look at Jonathan and say, well, he thinks he's going to be king, but he doesn't know that the Lord has made me king. And so we might anticipate a conflict of interest between these two men. But despite what we might assume, David and Jonathan demonstrated what I believe to be one of the greatest friendships of the Bible. Now, friendship 
is one of the greatest of human relationships. It has many factors. Friends will have common interests. They will perhaps have similar personalities. But above everything, they will have an interest in another person. If you have somebody who phones you up and talks for an hour all about themselves, but never really asks about you and how you are, you might not overly count that person a friend. You might just be somebody that listens to them for an hour rather than has that loving friendship and relationship. The most vital factor in any friendship has to be affection, one for another. And we can even call this love. Now in our Western culture, we can be quite reserved. We might not like to think of having love between friends, but effectively, that's what it is. We have love for our, not just for our family, but for our friends. And with David and Jonathan here, we have the pattern of a godly friendship. And this is how we should uh, behave as Christians, this is how we should live as Christians, with love towards others. It's a pattern of our relationship with Christian brethren. But I believe in this relationship between David and Jonathan, which is centered upon love one for another, we also have the shadow of Christ and his people. And particularly in these words of David here towards Jonathan, David says, Thy love to me was wonderful. David here is recalling the love of Jonathan, and he describes it as wonderful. And so the Christian is one who is able to recall the love of Christ and recall it as being wonderful. Now we don't often think of Christ as our friend. We tend to think of him as being king. We maybe think of him as being judge, Lord, the almighty God, our creator, our redeemer, our saviour. And all these titles are right and proper and so many more besides. But we can also call him our friend. In James 2 verse 23 it says of Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. It doesn't say Abraham was called God's servant, although he was. It doesn't call, say that he was called um, uh, a believer. He was, it says he was called the friend of God. In Proverbs eighteen 24, we're told there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And of course we know that friend to be the Lord Jesus Christ. In John fifteen fourteen that we read earlier, the Saviour said to his disciples, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. He doesn't say, You're my disciples, you're my workers, you're my labourers. No, he says, Ye are my friends. In Luke 9, or 7, verse 34, the enemies of Christ brought the accusation against him that he was a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So other people looking on at the relationship that Christ had with sinners, they said they didn't say that he was a preacher to them, that he just went and told them what they needed to do and left them. No, it was noticed that he was a friend of these people. Well, in this passage today, David is informed of the death of his dear friend, Jonathan. And as David is mourning the, pa the passing of his friend Jonathan, he's recalling his love. And he says, thy love to me was wonderful. And just as David was able to recall the love of his earthly friend, so the believer should be one who is constantly recalling the love of Christ. 
The truth is, dear friends, we don't meditate enough upon Christ. We don't meditate enough upon his person. We don't meditate enough upon his works. We don't meditate enough upon his love. Because if we spent more time meditating on the person of Christ, we would be less willing to sin. And our hearts would not grow cold. And we would not find ourselves wandering away from him and living in a far country. So I want to speak this morning on the very simple subject of meditating on his love. Meditating on his love. Four things I want to look at this morning as we think about meditating on his love. And of course we'll be taking the example of David and Jonathan. And we will be seeing in this example the great picture, the great shadow of Christ. Notice first of all the existence of his love. And certainly love existed between David and Jonathan. David didn't doubt Jonathan's love. He said, thy love to me. He didn't say, uh, your affections towards me, your kindness towards me. No, David said, thy love. He didn't doubt the existence of Jonathan's love. It was beyond doubt. He knew full well that Jonathan loved him. He experienced it. And having to experience Jonathan's love, he was able to recall it. And so believers should be those who should never doubt Christ's love. He tells us in his word that he loves us. Isaiah 43 and the verse 4. Since thou was precious in my sight, thou has been honourable, and I have loved thee. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Oh, David knew full well that Jonathan loved him. And so the believer is one who knows full well that the Saviour loves him. Because it was his love that brought him into this world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And if God the Father loves us, God the Son loves us the same. We shouldn't doubt his love. Not for a moment. But notice also the desire. David does not say, Jonathan, thy thoughts towards me were wonderful. Thy actions, thy pleasantries, no. He says, thy love to me, thy love. And what is love? Love is a desire. It's an affinity, it's an affection, a bond between two people. It's the strongest emotion that two people can have towards each other. And this is what David is recalling about Jonathan. You loved me, Jonathan. You loved me. And dear friends, whenever we think upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we shouldn't just think, oh, he came and did a great work. He did a great work so that I could be saved. And of course that is true. But we should be recalling that he loved me. He loved me so much that he went to the cross. He loved me so much that he was willing to endure that separation from the Father during those three hours of darkness. He loved me so much that he suffered the agonies of death. He loved me. The desire of Christ towards us was in his love. But then notice the direction that David recalls here. Thy love to me. David doesn't say, Jonathan, you loved my family. David, you loved this nation of Israel. David, you loved the Lord, although he certainly did, and that was true. 
But David was able to say, Jonathan, you loved me personally. You loved me. And so the Christian is one who knows the love of Christ directed personally towards them. Whenever we think upon the Savior, we don't just think that he has granted us that inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. We don't just think of all the things that Christ gives to us, our daily bread, our salvation, the forgiveness of sins. No, we can think in the emotional sense, he loved me and died for me. That's what the Apostle Paul recalled, wasn't it? He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know much about the religious state of the United States in America here. But in Scotland, humanism is perhaps the fastest growing religion. There's an increasing amount of humanist weddings and funerals. More people are having a humanist wedding now than are getting married in the state church. Even, or these humanists are even getting into schools with their message of nonsense. But humanism, it cannot explain love. Humanism takes root in evolution, and if evolution is to be believed, it's a case of survival of the fittest. It's a case that there wouldn't be anything called love. Instead of looking upon my wife and children and loving them, I would just see them as a terrible drain of my resources. I would just say that they're just going to keep eating food. They're just going to keep needing more clothes. And if humanism was to be believed, I'd be better off without them. And I'd abandon them. Or take them into a forest and leave them somewhere. And then I wouldn't need to worry about them. But humanism cannot explain love. Love is a human emotion given to us by God. And David was able to say... Concerning Jonathan, thy love to me was wonderful. Now there's something staggering for the Christian here. Because you and I might be those who would wonder, why would Christ love us? We examine our own hearts in the light of God's word. And we see that we've sinned against God. We've broken his commandments. We search our heart and we see there's nothing but ugliness inside it. We see that even our best thoughts towards God are so imperfect and impure. We see that even our prayers are full of so much sin they could damn our souls to hell. Why would Christ love us? Well, dear friend, that is the miracle of grace. The miracle of salvation. Robert Murray McShane was a preacher in Scotland and died at the age of 29. A mighty preacher. He wrote some lovely poems as well that we sing in our hymn book. But one of the verses that he has is this. Chosen not for good in me. And that describes each and every one of us. Christ didn't love us because he saw something lovable in us. He loved us despite our ugliness and our unlovableness. He chose us freely by grace. Why Christ would love us. I cannot tell you. It's a miracle that he does. And it's a miracle that we should marvel upon every day. There's the existence of his love. But secondly here today. 
Let us think about the evidence of his love. And notice first of all the provision that Jonathan had for David. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, you'll notice whenever David had killed Goliath, he was compelled to come and stay with Saul. But what was David wearing? Well, he was only wearing the rags of a shepherd. He didn't have on glorious garments, making him worthy to live in the king's palace. So what happened? Well, 1 Samuel 18 verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. So David, coming to live in the king's house, he's got these shepherd's rags on. And Jonathan says, David, you can't come and live in the king's palace like that. David, you have to have proper clothes. You have to have proper garments. But David doesn't have any. So what does Jonathan do? He strips himself of his garments and he gives them to David. So David is now able to walk into the king's palace unashamed. Because he's got the proper attire on. Well, Matthew Henry said about this verse, Our Lord Jesus has thus shown his love to us, that he stripped himself to clothe us. He emptied himself to enrich us. Nay, he did more than Jonathan. He clothed himself with our rags, whereas Jonathan did not put on David's. And dear believer today, the only reason that you and I have a standing before God, the only reason we're able to enter the throne room of grace, the only reason we'll be able to stand redeemed in the day of judgment is because the Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross and he took our filthy rags upon himself and he suffered the punishment of God for those filthy rags of sin and he gives to you and I his perfect righteousness. You and I, believer today, are those who are clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We don't stand before God with a spot or stain of sin. We stand before God as if we had never sinned at all. So just as Jonathan took his clothes off and gave them to David, Christ took our rags of unrighteousness and he gave us his perfect robe of righteousness Jonathan had provision for David he also had protection for David if you turn to 1 Samuel 20 you'll see here that David had to flee from Saul after Saul tried to kill him and verses 3 and 4 read and David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. De Saul is trying to kill David. And Jonathan could well say, well, you're on your own. My father's an evil man. My father, if he gets you, he'll kill you. And if I'm found with you, he'll, he could possibly kill me too. But instead of leaving David and abandoning him, no. 
Jonathan offers to protect David. Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Whatever you need, David, to protect yourself, I'll do it. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has come to be the protector of his people. Now, of course, the Father is not the picture of Saul here. We would never say that. God is completely just in the punishment of the wicked. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has voluntarily given himself to come and to bear the sins of his people upon himself and to endure the wrath of God on the cross to protect us and to save us from the wrath that we rightly deserved. But then notice here, Jonathan also promotes David. Jonathan recognizes that David was to be king ahead of him. Jonathan could have seen David as an enemy, but he didn't. There's no pride in Jonathan's heart on this issue. Proverbs 13 verse 10 tells us, Only by pride cometh contention. But this wasn't a matter but with Jonathan. No, he was a godly man. He was submitted to the will of God. And if David was to be king, Jonathan would support it. So instead of jealously fighting with David and attacking him, Jonathan made that covenant of friendship. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. This was a covenant of friendship to support each other in their trying and at this difficult time. In 1 Samuel 20 verse 8, David says to Jonathan, Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. So instead of abandoning David, no, Jonathan promotes him. They make that pact together. Now sadly today, men aren't very good at keeping their word. We break our word. We enter into agreements and we break them. And men today think nothing of it. But in biblical times, if you give your word, you are entering into a covenant and you dare not break that. And this is how serious this covenant was between Jonathan and David. It was more than just friendship. These two were binding themselves together in a covenant of the Lord. They've made their vows before God. Why? Well, 1 Samuel 18 verse 3. Because he loved him as his own soul. And whenever we love somebody, will we not seek their promotion? Will we not seek their protection? If you have children, you will know what it is to do everything to protect them and to defend them. You will do your utmost to see their security and to see their well-being. And so it is with Jonathan and David. Because Jonathan loved David as his own soul. He was willing to do whatever he could. For him. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't go to the cross of Calvary flippantly. He didn't take the sins of his people upon him carelessly. It wasn't an emotional, an emotionless encounter. No, dear friend, the cross of Calvary is the greatest act of love that we will ever see in the whole of human history. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came to promote us from the gutter and the mire of sin and make us heirs together of the grace of life. He was the only begotten Son 
But you and I are the sons and daughters of God by adoption. He has given us that title, children of the Most High God. We don't, we're not worthy of it. We do not merit it. But it's something we receive freely from God. Thirdly, today, we thought of the existence of his love, the evidence of his love. Notice now the expression of his love. I notice it in the term wonderful. Thy love to me was nice, Jonathan. Thy love to me was satisfactory. No, he doesn't say these things. Thy love to me was wonderful. In the last earthly encounter between these two men, if you turn to 1 Samuel 20, you'll read about it. 1 Samuel 20, verse 41 It says, And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of a place toward the south, and fell on his face to the ground, and bowed himself three times, and they kissed one another, and wept one with another, until David exceeded. Our culture is very unfamiliar with their actions, but this is how the Jews expressed themselves. This word exceeded speaks of growing or becoming great. And it's saying that David was able to compose himself before Jonathan was. So the last time these two men would see each other, they probably knew it was the last time they would see each other. They maybe feared that it was. And how did they behave? Did they part with a handshake and a slap on the back? No. These two men kissed each other. These two men wept sore upon each other's shoulders. Until David was able to compose himself first. Jonathan wasn't able to compose himself. David had to lead the way. These intimate brothers are heartbroken. At the thought of having to separate. And David thinking back no doubt to this encounter. Whenever his brother Jonathan wept upon his shoulder. Whenever he kissed him. David was recalling that encounter and he says it was wonderful. Well the Lord Jesus Christ in his emotional relationship with us. Wonderful isn't a good enough word to describe it. The Lord Jesus Christ shed tears at the grave of Lazarus. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. He wept in Gethsemane. And then there was the blood. The blood that flowed from his head. His hands and his feet. We're able to recall what the Savior went through for us. And the love that was the driving factor behind it. And can we not say. Thy love to me was wonderful. Or does the love of Christ just seem so familiar to us now? David recalled that great event with Jonathan. Where Jonathan wept and kissed him. And he says thy love was wonderful. Whenever the name of Jesus comes into your ear. Or comes into your mind. What fills your heart? 
what emotion is stirred up within your soul? Are you able, as David recalled Jonathan and said, Thy love to me was wonderful. Whenever the name of Jesus comes to us, do we think upon him and say, Thy love to me was wonderful? Notice the tense that David uses. He says, Thy love to me was wonderful. Jonathan's dead. The expressions of his love have ceased. All David has now are memories from the past. There's not going to be any new encounters with Jonathan. He's not going to be able to hug him anymore. There will be no more brotherly hugs and kisses. There will be no more weeping on his shoulders. There's only memories. Jonathan, thy love was wonderful. I'll not see you again until we're in heaven. Dear friends, for the believer, although Christ has died, the expressions of his love have not ceased. His love to us is wonderful. His mercies are new to us every day. Hebrews 7 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. The expressions of his love continue. The psalmist says in Psalm 68, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Christ's love continues to manifest itself to us today. Thy love is wonderful. But then fourthly and finally this morning, let us notice the extent of his love. David says, about his relationship with Jonathan. It was passing the love of women. Now David had two wives at this stage. You'd think one would have been enough. But he had two. And he took more after this. Michal and Abigail were his two wives. And marital love is one of the strongest loves. That we can ever have. So David knew what marital love was. But he says the love that Jonathan had for him was greater than the love his wives had for him. Jonathan, thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Well, the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us is far greater than our husbands or wives could ever love us. Far greater than our mothers and fathers could ever love us. His love to us is the greatest love in the history the world in 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 it says the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David now that word knit means joined together in league with bound together their souls were, were as one nearly right? tied together and dear friends that's what a believer is to be like with Christ we're not to say, right, well, that's great, he loves me. But really, I don't want to live as a Christian. It doesn't suit me. It doesn't tie in with my life. I have my own goals and ambitions. And yes, it's lovely that Jesus loves me. But I'm not giving myself to him. Dear friend, being a believer is having our souls knit together with Christ. We die and he lives in us. And it must be that. I don't know what it's like in America here. I imagine it's much the same. But where I am in Scotland, 
there is so much shallow Christianity. There are so many people who walk into a church, they put up their hand, they walk the aisle, and somebody prays with them, they walk out the door, I've been born again, I'm a a Christian. But they're no more converted than the car in the parking lot. They might have given that mental assent to the gospel, but their soul isn't united with Christ. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I was preaching at an open air, and there were these men sat on a park bench, 11 o'clock in the morning, drinking their beer. And I went over to talk to them afterwards, and they said, we, we enjoyed listening to you. It was very good, your message. And I said, well, have you, how have you responded to the message? He says, you don't need to worry about me. One of the men said, you don't need to worry about me. I went to such in a church a couple of years ago. And the pastor prayed with me. So I'm now a Christian. And I said, well, have you been back to church? Well, the pastor never told me I had to go back to church. I said, well, do you ever pray or read your Bible? The pastor never told me I had to do those things. I said, well, I've been preaching today on the stony heart. The Lord takes away the stony heart. He gives you a heart of flesh. He gives you a love for God. Do you love God today? pastor never told me how to do any of that. Dear friends, this is what is passing for Christianity today. It's all about numbers. Get people in. Get them to put their hand up. It doesn't matter if the leaves still unregenerated. I can stand up next week and say there were two people professed faith. Dear friend, whenever we're converted, our souls are knit together with Christ. We love him because he first loved us. But we love him and we'll not be ashamed to say it and we'll not be ashamed to surrender to him. He will be everything to us. He will be the fairest of 10,000 to our souls. And we'll not let anybody else take his place. In 1 Samuel 20 verse 17. It says. And Jonathan caused David to swear again. Because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. He loved him as he loved his own soul. What love Christ had for us. To be willing to endure. All that he went through in this life. His sufferings didn't begin on the cross. Dear friend, his sufferings began when he came into this world. That's when his sufferings began. And his love is greater than anything we can experience on a human level. We read in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The extent of his love caused the Saviour to come into this world to be mocked and to be ridiculed to have spit in his face to have men who he came to give mercy to cry out crucify him crucify him the extent of his love caused him to hang in that tree until every drop of air in his lungs expanded the extent of his love allowed him 
to be forsaken by the Father and to be made sin for us. This is the greatest act of love that we meditate upon it as we ought to. Coming to a close this morning we can understand something of the love between David and Jonathan because you and I we have human relationships we love others we love our parents we love our spouses we love our children but we cannot comprehend the love of Christ for us I remember the other day there was a little insect and I said to my daughter would you be made a little insect to save those other little insects and she couldn't get her head around it granted she's only four but she couldn't under get her head around what it would be to be a little ant to save other little ants well the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just lower himself to become a little ant he lowered himself to become something much lower to come into a world that would reject him and despise him And crucify him. So he could save. Those that he loves. Whenever we meditate upon the love of Christ. It brings joy to our hearts. To think that I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. His desire is towards me. It's something that gives us peace. To know that the everlasting God loves us. Something that comforts us. To know that all is well with our souls. But this is a love we should desire to know more of. The Apostle Paul. Writing to the Philippians says. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto death. Now Paul was a spiritual man. But this was a burning desire of his heart. That I may know him. Is that the burning desire of your heart this morning? Not that I may know about him. The facts and figures of Jesus' life. As important as they are. But that I may know him personally. There's people today that could tell you a lot about the Queen of the United Kingdom. But they don't know her. They know about her, but they don't know her. It's one thing to know about Jesus, dear friend. It's another thing to know him. Are you able to say today, I know him. I know him. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the one who emptied himself, for the one who was made sin for us, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. We thank Thee for Christ. We thank Thee for his love and his grace towards us. Let us ever be those We meditate upon his love. 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.